Our next speaker is um, Fiona MacArthur, and she's speaking. Her topic is diversity in midwifery and Aussie midwives. Um, Fiona has worked as a midwife for 30 years. She's the clinical midwifery educator in her rural mater maternity unit. Is one of the volunteer instructors for also Babe. Is, is it? Babe or Babe? Yeah, Babe. PIMS and the AMRE Education Group. Fiona was presented with the New South Wales Excellency Midwifery Award in 2015. Fiona has written more than 35 romance novels, which have sold over 2 million copies in 12 languages, and now writes contemporary fiction with a medical slant for Penguin Australia. Fiona is the author of the non-fiction Aussie Midwives and the Teen Pregnancy Don't Panic Guide to Birth and Breach Baby. Baby, a guide for parents. She lives on a farm in northern New South Wales with her husband. Good afternoon. Um, thank you for asking me to join you today. This is lovely. Um, I just, I guess, the main thrust of what I'd like to talk about today is what you have, your knowledge, your passion, your experience, and how you could share that with others. Because that's what I do. That's what I love: is sharing midwifery with other people. So today I'll start with, I'll break it up into three sort of sections. The first section is I'll just talk a little bit about um, a rural midwifery unit. Is anybody working rurally here? Excellent. So you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, and then I'll have a little chat about the non-fiction anthology, Aussie Midwives, which is the true stories of 19 Australian midwives, a lot of them that you know, and one of whom was here today. Um, and also then I'd like to give you a little snapshot on if you did think about writing, where you could possibly go with that and some strategies for the absolutely snowed under world that you live in and where that time could fit in. Okay, terrific. Now I'm just gonna make sure I've got this right. Yep, okay. So day in the life of a rural midwife. So. Um, when I began in Kempsey as a brand new Kempsey, so Kempsey and Mid-North Coast, brand new midwife more than 30 years ago, our birth rate sat around 365, so one a day. Um, and most shifts I worked with an enrolled nurse and, um, and that was morning, afternoon or midnight um, or night time. Um, and we had local GPs. So we still have local GPs. It's one of the few units actually that's run as a shared care. So we've actually got this suddenly from having no GPs and oh my God, we'll never get doctors and we'll close down. We're one of those few people, few units where all these new GPOBs who can't get to go anywhere because of midwifery group practice are saying, can we work for you? So it's a little bit daunting as a midwife because Hello, we thought we sort of had it and we were moving in the right direction, but all of a sudden there's lots of people that want to get some experience. So either way, it works out fine. But back when I first started, we had twin pregnancies. Breaches were okay. We could just have breaches. Nobody mentioned much about it. Um, we still shipped out our prem labours and BMIs weren't really an issue in that time. And I think that's a big impact on our 365 down to our 265. But the good news is that we'll probably hit 300 as we come in through the end of the, the um, year this year. Okay, so this is not the passion in midwifery that I was going to talk about today, but I just thought I'd get it out there so you don't have to wonder about it. So I've written 35 books for Harlequin, Mills and Boone, and you know what the really cool thing is? Because I'm passionate about my midwifery, all my heroines are midwives. They teach their doctors amazing insights into normal birth and they actually really believe in the power of women. 
So these books absolutely scream power of woman. Okay, and there's two million of them out there, all over the world. Women are reading about natural birth, how clever they are, um, how strong they are, how much their midwife thinks they're incredible. And um, yeah, it's a little bit odd, but it works beautifully and it's certainly changed my life. But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. I'm talking more, more about these sort of books. So people who are talking about non-fiction um, stories of, of really amazing people out there doing things. So let's talk a little bit about Aussie midwives. Aussie midwives came about because um, I wrote The Don't Panic Guide to Birth for Penguin, Australia, which was a very small book that should never have been published by a traditional publisher. And it was something that I wrote in a week, 10,000 words, for the young mums that I look after and had looked after for 10 years. So I did Tim Tams, which is Teenage Information Mornings, Teens as Mums. So Tim Tams and I had a 10-year love affair. And at the end of the time, I was, as I was starting to move on, because I was getting a bit long in the tooth and you really feel a bit, you know, just these young women needed young women. So I wanted to have something that they could actually just take with them as something they could just refer to. The problem I found with the younger women, this is not too general, is that if they didn't read the great big fat books when they were pregnant, they feel guilty. And it's not fair. They have a really um, chaotic lifestyle sometimes and it's just difficult to get sit down and read a really big book. So this is a little tiny 10,000 word book and I was just going to run them off and give them to my girls as they finished. And then I thought, oh well, I went to a, a writing conference and the, um, there was editor appointments and agent appointments and I thought, oh well, I'll just run this by an agent. And she said, look, I'm too busy. But I read it, I love it, I can't help you with it, but here's five numbers and five people's names. Tell them I love it, but see what you go. Within a week, I had three, three um, requests for publication from three big Australian publishers um, and I did go with Penguin. The really interesting thing is that that book, as a 10,000 word book, doesn't have anywhere to sit in the marketplace of a publishing company. It's not a big book, it's not really a little book, it's just an odd book. So it didn't actually sell very well. The idea was great, but it didn't sell very well. So what I've done with that book is buy it back from Penguin because they didn't obviously want to reprint it and update it and turn it into an e-book. So a young woman can actually just pay $4.99, download it onto a phone and just read it, which is what I want to talk about later. Yes? The Don't Panic Guide to Birth. Yeah. Okay. And it wasn't my title, that was Penguin's title. I would never have put panic and birth in the same sentence. <laughs> but I can't do much about that at the time, so we've left it there. Anyway, so I'm going to talk to you about Aussie Midwives. The book Aussie Midwives is an anthology of Australian midwives published by Penguin Australia in 2016. The editor who published Don't Panic asked me for that. I put it off for a couple of years and then it was like, you know, this, I'd really like to do this. So I, um, as I said in the, as they said in the introduction, Amy, thank you, was um, I have a lot to do with Amare, so also Babe, Pims. So of course I get to meet lots of really interesting uh, midwives and doctors from all over Australia. And having that network of people meant that there were some really fascinating midwives out there that I would love to tell their story or hear a little bit of their story from them. And that's where the concepts of Aussie midwives came from. So um, 
in collating the anthology, the experience made me wish that more people could write more stories about midwives because some of the feedback for this has just been amazing from women who have always wanted to do midwifery and just didn't feel that they were able to or was strong enough. But we'll talk a little bit more about that too. So let's talk a little bit about who's in it. Okay, so we've got the absolutely beautiful Kate Dyer, um, high dependency. Um, anyone know Kate? Yeah, has anyone heard her at the midwifery conference at Lura? That was just the most amazing address, yeah. So Kate works with really high dependency women um, who have high risk pregnancies, babies who may not go home, but she has that continuity of care that goes all the way through during this really intense pregnancy. So she's just an absolute champion and she's an OAM. So she has been acknowledged, she's amazing. So Kate was extremely generous. Next to her is Mikey. So Michael Dixon is just um, a fellow from my unit. Mikey and Bronnie, the next one. Um, just because it was really nice to do the rural thing, because a lot of people who aren't rural don't think about doing rural. So Mikey's been a midwife for 30 years. He's never worked anywhere else in the hospital. Um, he says to me, you know, I don't know how much longer I'll do it, Fee, because, you know, who wants a 50-year-old man touching their breasts? <laughs> so, so I don't know, but Mikey is the coolest man. If I was having another baby, you know, Michael is one of those people who sits in the corner just quietly exuding the confidence in you, you know, without intruding on your space. He's just the most beautiful midwife. So I do hope that more male midwives read his story and go out there and, and provide the sort of care that Mikey does. Next to him is Bronnie, and the interesting thing about Bronnie is that, um, that is, her story is from when she finished her, um, her midwifery at Newcastle Uni, and then she came to us for a grad year. And it was, it was tricky for Bronnie because she grew up in that town. So every time somebody came in for labour, she knew them from school, or she knew their parents, or she knew their brother, or, and her first day, her first day on the shift, on the, on the job, she had a caesarean lady booked for um, elective caesarean and it turned out to be her boyfriend, her, her boyfriend's ex. <laughs> and, you know, and she had to come to me and say, look, Fee, this lady doesn't want me in the room. And so some of the little tricky bits about being in a, in a small country town. Underneath her is, Danny, on this end here, is Annie Delane. So I don't know if anybody's met Annie Delane. I met her at an also course. She works out of um, Saibai, which is up past Thursday Island. She works on this little tiny island as the only midwife there, although there is a registered nurse and there's some health workers. But Saibai is two and a half miles from the coast of New Guinea. So Annie actually has, can be cruising along and all the ladies on her island, who have about 300 people live on that island, they all ship off about 36 weeks and go off to TI to have their babies. But the ladies in New Guinea, they know that there's this really lovely lady over here two and a half miles away. And if I get into any problems, I can just get in a dinghy, go across and she'll help me. So Annie has just deals with the most amazing things and reading Annie's, Annie's stories and she says things like, oh, you know, so I heard a boat come in and I went out with her and she has to have a, a minder to go with her when she goes out to meet people. It's not really safe at night where she is and she has her husband there, but the minder goes with her and she brought these people in and they had this tiny little 34-weeker. And she brought it in and she said, you know, look, what can you do? Warm, pink and sweet. So we warm it up, we put a cannula in, we give some warm IV fluids and some glucose, and I'm thinking, how do you put a cannula in a 34-weeker that's freezing cold from coming across two and a half miles in a boat? So these people just have this amazing skill 
and they, they just, she blows me away. And she's 63 or something, she's had a spinal fusion. She, she's just a, a hero, a hero. And so I just love her stories. Anyway, the upshot was that I went up to visit Annie for a week to get this information and the deal was that I would get her starting on her book. And she's halfway through that now. And I just can't wait to read her stories. So it's very, very exciting. Next to Annie, Annie is um, Kate Bray. Does anyone know Kate Bray from Queensland, from Newcastle? She's from the um, Belmont. She used to be in Belmont and now she's working John Hunter and Homebirth. Kate's just amazing and such a breach advocate. So her story was about a breach woman. And next to her is um, Louise Paul, who was really interesting. Louise was losing her love of the game. She was feeling really helpless about the way the midwifery care was going in her unit. She just wanted to give up. And she took a one-year um, sabbatical to Gove, Mullingboy. I can never say that right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and she went up there 10 years ago. <laughs> And she hasn't come back and she's just had the best time and her stories are amazing. And I just think, yeah, more and more amazing people out there. Okay. So then there's, I'll just get, um, there's one more, this is the last page I'll do. So there's Hannah, of course, who you met this morning. And then there's Heather Gulliver, who was working up in PNG, um, helping that midwifery program starting up there. Um, in The Flying Doctors, we've got the beautiful Gillian Thurlow. Now, there's a little story with Gillian. Gillian, I met at an also course and said, oh, Flying Doctor, oh, do you reckon I could sort of, you know, write to you when I have a couple of queries in my books because I don't really know much about being a flying doctor or the nurse or what happens. And, and Gillian was like, yeah, sure, no worries. She's like someone super senior up there now. But she, um, she is just the most beautiful woman. And I, I remember writing a scene in one of my romance novels and saying, and, and then the fluids were running in the plane. She said, Fiona, the fluids don't run in the plane. <laughs> they have to actually have some help. And it was just little things like that that were really, really cool. So that's Gillian, and she's up in Bundaberg. Helen Cook, everyone know Helen Cook from Powell? and from um, all sorts of wonderful places. Ray Condon is a home birth midwife and rural midwife that I've known for many years and is just one of those beautiful, unassuming, solid midwives, isn't she? She's just an amazing woman, Ray. So yeah, these are just some of the women and men that were in the book. And of course, there's always Shaker, please. Gorgeous Shay, um, the magnificent Shay, I call her. So home birth midwife, water birth advocate, photographer, filmmaker. There's a funny story about this pic, and if I don't run out of time, I'll tell you it. Has anyone still got this photo up on their wall in their hospital? Yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? That is so cool. So I won't bore you with this, but I was just, this was back to my point of why I think we should illustrate writing about your passion and getting it out there. So thank you for so openly and honestly sharing your own and other women's experiences. It's driven me further to follow my passion. Whether it's soon or a long way off, I can't ignore this passion to be with women. So how cool is that? That somebody's just written to me, and they don't get anything for it, they just write to me, and it's, it's just beautiful. From another midwife, um, I loved reading this book and have been even more inspired in my new journey that awaits me. So she's really thinks, looking positively into her new journey for midwifery. And a lot of these women are in their 30s, 35s. They've got their first few children, and they're just ready. They're really, really ready and they just love it. I'll go back one. This one, Jeremy Chin. Does anyone know Jeremy? Just an amazing doctor from, um, I think he's in Melbourne. Um, he does a lot of um, work in Laos. 
and he just wrote to me just out of the blue and said, I shared a tear or two on several occasions. I'm working in Laos at the moment and the book is keeping me grounded that there's a normal world out there because it must be pretty darn tough, the stuff that he's doing out there. Um, sharing these letters isn't because I want to show you off, show off. It's because writing something you believe in can change lives. It can give comfort and restore people's faith in human nature. So get your stories out there. It doesn't have to be the length of a novel. You could try something smaller, like books, um, small books, 10,000 words, magazines, 1,000 words, 500 words, blogs. Um, in the case of a print magazine, you might get even some money for it, maybe a one-off payment of first Australasian print rights between $150 and $1,500 an article. Um, they, those magazines could be available for as short as a month or a quarter. For blogs, you don't usually get payment for blogs. You're actually picking up the amount of people that are following you and it can help you in the future if you do write something else. If you've got a blog following of many people, that helps. It's also good fun and you can socialise with readers. There's emags, um, which small payments or nil. Um, the rule of thumb is that if you read that magazine, you're more likely to be able to sell to it. So it's, it's just like writing a novel, really. If you, the sort of books you write, you've got more, you read, you've got more chance of writing because you understand the inherent rules. Um, I had an email last night from um, I Am Woman magazine, um, and they're happy to take submissions in the IamWomanProject.com.au, so if anybody's interested in that. And of course, there's, um, oh, hang on, this is smaller versions. That's mine. I'll just go back. That one there, Breach Baby. There's a little story to Breach Baby. Um, and the other little ones, the Don't Panic Guide to Birth. You'll notice the cover's different because that's the ebook cover. And we'll talk about ebook covers and making your own covers and things like that in a little minute. Um, but I thought I had Midwifery Magazine here. It's the Writer's Digest. So there's a little book called The Writer's Digest. And if you actually um, buy it off Book Depository, it's got all the addresses of all the magazines in Australia if you buy the Australian one. And um, you can actually, they'll tell you what the, how many words they want, what sort of stories they want, how much you'll probably get. So that's all really interesting stuff that you don't know about if somebody doesn't tell you. Okay, so then of course there's Australian Midwifery News. So um, you submit your story via the ACM webpage. At the moment um, it's on miscellaneous stories. So it's a really good time to pick something and and pop it in there because often it'll be a, a theme like vulnerable women or something like that. So it's a really good time at the moment to look at um, midwifery news. So let's start. So we'll talk about fiction or faction because a lot of the stuff that we put in there is actually true and especially in my midwifery, um, when, I, when I talk about midwifery I would never put in something that wasn't true because you just wouldn't do that. Okay, so where do you find this time? Well, personally, as a mother, I had five sons and um, four of them were in four and a half years and that was when I started to write. So I actually, that was the only sane part of my day, writing. But anyway, I get up at, or do, I still do get up at 4.30 and I work till 6, except nowadays I go to work at 6.30. So I get up from 4.30 until 6 and I write. I get at least 500 words, which is two double-spaced pages. It's not too much, two double-spaced pages. And maybe if you set yourself a one double space page every day on some topic that inspires you, 
you would end up with half of that 75,000 in 10 months. So it's just doable. It's the starting that causes all the problems. And if you just set yourself a time, it's like the exercise, you know, the more you do it, the stronger it gets. And when you feel bad is when you don't exercise for a week and then you feel really guilty. And that's what happens. You spend your life beating yourself up that you're not writing. But if you get that tiny little bit down every single day, it'll change your world. I mean, I just, I recommend to all of you, just try it for two weeks. Get up early or if you're a nighttime person when everyone goes to bed, sit down and do that one or two pages every day for two weeks and see how you feel. See what you've achieved because it's amazing what you can achieve. Um, there's also a place, if you want to write a big book and you're really terrified, there's a thing called National Novel Writing Month. Has anyone heard of that? It's a really weird word. It's called NaNoWriMo, <laughs> and it's .org. So it's actually a whole group of people all over the world writing a novel and not editing, just going forward for a whole month. And these women, if, if you read the blogs, they talk about putting frozen meals in the freezer. And <laughs> they just set themselves right up. They tell everybody, no social engagements. November is my NaNoWriMo, <laughs> I can't remember that, month. And they write, and they write a whole novel. Then you can play with it. The biggest problem people have when they want to write long is that they fiddle on chapter one. They don't stop fiddling on chapter one. They tweak and they poke and they reread before they go forward. And my theory is that you just do your 500 words every day forward and you can poke all you like through the rest of the day. But personally, that's all I do, is that forward until I get right to the end, then I put it aside and then two weeks later I'll come back and I'll flesh it out. Because I know the people. I spent 10 years trying to write a Mills and Boone novel, my first one, 10 years. Every year I'd get so enthusiastic at conference time, I'd write three chapters, I'd send it off, and they'd say, lacking emotional intensity. <laughs> and I'd say, well, damn. So I'd just run down, and then next year I'd go to conference again, and I'd write another three, three, three chapters, because I was so excited, and then they'd say, lacking in emotional intensity. On my ninth year, one of the authors at the conference, Emma Darcy, said to me, Fiona, write the damn book. Don't stop, don't send it, write it. So I wrote that whole book, and it was only 45,000 words, it's not huge, think about these people with their PhDs. 45,000 words, and then I sent it off. They bought that book. They bought that book because I knew the people by the time I got to the end, so that when I went back to the beginning to fiddle and tweak and make it nice, I knew what they were, I knew who they were, I could round them out because they spoke to me. That's my story about getting to the end before you start fiddling. Okay, move on. So how do ideas turn into a non-fiction book? Well, I told you the story of the Don't Panic Guide. And there's also the story of the other one, but I'll get to that in a minute. So think about e-books. Okay, so I told you how I turned that into an e-book. I didn't turn it into an e-book. I have a friend and it's always on, on the web, you can look for somebody who will convert, but it's really not that hard because Amazon's got a whole section and they'll walk you through it very slowly. So if you had a 3,000 word story, you could go to Shutterstock, build yourself a pretty little cover, go to Amazon and follow the steps to uploading, and within, 
I had some friends do it for me. It took two hours for them, one to sit there editing for me, the other one to sit there building me a pretty little cover picture, and they had it up on Amazon for sale in two hours. I mean, I write books that don't come out for 18 months. So it's a really interesting thing that you can really get into. This is one of the best times in the world to be involved in writing because the access for writers, for getting out there, is huge. It's just so exciting. Okay, so Kindle, Nook, Sony Reader, all those things. Basically, it's the, it's the instant grab. People want to read something. They've heard their friends say, oh, I like that, and then so someone goes off with their Kindle, buy, it's on. Ebooks are really, really fabulous for, for selling those quick things. And even if you're studying, you know that if you want a baby name book, you can just buy it like that. It's, it's just incredible. No postage, updates easily. Um, it's no weight in your luggage when you travel. You can have 10 books in your bag and it doesn't matter. So if I talk a little bit about my ebook journey where I started, it was with this guy. Does anyone know who this is? Dr. Andrew Bissett, that's correct. So um, I've met Andrew a few years ago with Also and Babe. And I was sitting in a, an exam waiting with Andrew for the next person to come in and he said, I liked your Don't Panic Guide to Birth, I gave it to my niece. He said, I think you should write one for breach, for parents, not for, not for um, medical staff. Keep it simple. And I said, so what do you mean? So he gets a bit of paper and he makes five dot points. And he says, there you go, like that. And I said, if anyone who knows Andrew Bissett, that's exactly what he's like. Like, here's a little concept, off you go. So anyway, I set up a timeline, I divided it up into how many words I needed. Again, it's another 10,000 word book. Um, I got someone who I trusted to read it. Um, Andrew read it, but vagued out halfway through. And then um, Carolyn Homer, who did the job perfectly and beautifully, as she always does, because she's just the most incredible person. And so, um, Breach Baby, A Guide for Parents was born. And it's available as an e-book, or um, from Book Depository as a $15, they'll post it for free, handbook. So, yeah, it's interesting. You can do it. You can just get them up there. Okay. So, the pep talk. Polish the final manuscript. When you get to the end of your 3,000 word thing, or your 30,000 word thing, or your, don't go more than 100,000, 120, they publish this, unless you're going to e-publish e it. Um, traditional publishers really don't like spending a lot of money, unless you're Diana Gabaldon, on a really big book. So stick stick around 100,000 mark or a little bit under. So polish your final manuscript. Go through that emotion of letting your baby go because it's quite confronting. Can you imagine how confronting it was for me to put out the Don't Panic Guide to Birth? Only just because I'd never put out anything non-fiction. Here I am, a midwife in a rural unit, saying that all these things are true. I mean, obviously, I got some local doctors to read it, and I got Helen Cook to read it because I knew her from also. But it was still really confronting. And then when it was published, the publisher had actually put all the wrong um, titles on the diagrams. So then it looked like I didn't know when full dilatation was and all that. So that was really fun. And they won't do anything about it. It's done. But the emotion of just saying, you know what, I feel strongly about this. I feel passionate about this. I'm going to put it out there. Um, and, and yeah, it's really, really invigorating to do it. I put that publishing help and promotion down there because if anybody's interested in e-booking your own books or your own stories, this is like a little $4 e-book 
that my friend Annie Seaton puts out, and she's the one that I get to do all my um, uploading and stuff like that, just because I'm not haven't got that sort of brain. It's just way over me. So now that your story's finished, you can polish and perfect. You can even listen to the grammar guru's disapproval, because how many times do we feel like we're not good enough and our grammar's not good enough? and that people will look down on us because our sentence structure is not perfect. A lot of the time you can have something that really touches you, that really connects with people, and the sentence structure is crap, okay? It's all about touching people and getting it out there. Um, but when you, have a, when you have an editor, it does help. So if you are going to put your book out there, it's always good to have somebody else maybe pay an, um, a cheaper editing service, just pay an editing service to go through it because it's really hard to see your own mistakes and limitations. You just need, it's like having um, more than one um, supervisor, isn't it? It's just really, really good to have someone else look at it. Then let go, let it go. It gets easier every time you do it. You do it, you dive in, you publish it, and then you start again 500 words a day. Um, okay, is there money in it? Snoopy? Snoopy? Snoopy says, gentlemen, I've just completed my new novel. It is so good, I'm not even going to send it to you. Why don't you just come and get it? Because <laughs> that's not going to happen. You've got to put it out there. In nearly all e-books, except for the really, really clever publishing and promoting people, we do it for the love of it, okay? I have not made any money out of either of my Don't Panic Guide to Birth or the Breach book, but I love having them out there. I love someone writing to me and saying, I really, that really helped. Or a man saying to me, I could read this one because I could do it in two hours, you know? And that's, that's really, really why we're doing it. Um, in traditional publishing, the money's there. Less than part-time midwifery, but a good second income. Um, last year, was it last year? No, the year before last, I actually made the same money as I do as 28 hours a week as a midwifery educator in my writing. And I thought, that's it, holy grail, I'm right. This year I halved that. No idea why, same amount of books out. That's how it goes. Um, with traditional publishers like Penguin, it's advance on contract, and once you've earned out your advance, then you get royalties. Um, you sell the most of your books in the first year. On an average, I sell about 10,000 copies of my fiction books, which are these ones. This one's just come out, The Baby Doctor. Not my title, it's not my fault. <laughs> um, I wanted to call it the um, Desert Rose Hotel because it's set in an old desert right out in the middle of New South Wales, um, Queensland, but they wanted to call it the baby doctor. She's an obstetrician. It was really funny. I, I kept going to these also courses time after time after time and the obstetrician, young obstetrician women would say to me, why are they all midwives? Why are all your romances midwives? Why can't we have a romantic obstetrician? So I actually put this Sienna character as a third sister in a, in a little, in another book, in one of my, in Red Sand Sunrise, and thinking that she's a minor character, you know, because I just, I feel the midwifery, I have to be the midwife, you know, so the main character is always the midwife. And then I got all these letters saying, tell us Sienna's story. What happened to Sienna? We don't know what happened to Sienna. So it sort of purgled and jurgled away there, and, and I wrote another couple of books, and then I thought, you know, I'm really ready for Sienna's story. And so it was just a, a lovely, lovely opportunity to um, look at it from another viewpoint. Um, the one coming out next is Mother's Day, which comes out on 
Mother's Day. It comes out in April, actually. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting. And that's all about young mums. So these are all the topics. The first topic is about setting up a midwifery centre in Red Sands Sunrise in the centre of Queensland. Um, the second one is about flying doctors out near Broken Hill. The third's breast cancer um, nurse out in Broken Hill. Uh, the fourth is baby doctor, and that's um, a little bit about DV and a little bit about young mums and a little bit about um, older ladies and how much they have to offer to the younger with all their strengths and what they've done in the past. And it's a very, I really loved that book. I loved those characters and I've had a lot of really good, actually Warcry really liked it. So you can guess what sort of writing I write. If Warcry really likes it, the Salvation Army people, they think it's lovely. So, so if you're expecting sex in my books, sorry, <laughs> not gonna happen. Well, it might, but the door's shut. Uh, <laughs> Um, and as I say, Mother's Day is actually um, about young mums, which I really enjoyed. So, non-fiction-wise, we talked about this, we talked about those. Um, if fiction isn't where your heart lies, there's always non-fiction, biography, self-help, um, your passion you'd like to share, breastfeeding, lotus birth, organic lavender and its properties in the birth space. Um, believe in what you write. If you can talk about it with passion, you can write about it. So let's talk about some strategies and ways to launch it. I know that we've already done that, but that's all right. We'll move on. So if you have some questions, ask me. I love to talk about writing. I love to help. These are all my little connection points. Um, and I hope after this brief introduction, you feel you have an idea where to look for help. But just flick me an email, seriously, and I'll just point you off in that direction. Um, where to find some basic tools to start writing about what you love including an idea where to Google resources. So Dr. Google, you've got to be a little bit worried about Dr. Google. <laughs> sometimes it's perfect and sometimes it's not. But um, as long as you've got a resource that you're, you're happy with, then that's, that's pretty good. But I always stick to the stuff I know, and if I don't know, I go to someone like Gillian Thurlow, and I ask them. And people are really, really happy to, to let you know. I went to a... Um, disaster management course at Kempsey Hospital and I was looking for a, a medical mystery for Sienna for that book that was what held me up and this guy was giving this talk on management disasters and disasters like um, chemical disasters radiation disasters um, um, I don't know earthquakes um, all those sort of and it was all about disaster management anyway he came up with this thing and I went that's it can I have your email address? Would you mind terribly <laughs> if I wrote to you and asked you? And um, yeah, he was absolutely brilliant. And if you read um, The Baby Doctor, you'll see the big acknowledgement to Dr. Kowalski <laughs> at the end, yeah. So I hope you're ticking along thinking about stories, about the passion you want to share, and the fact that sharing stories is fun and cathartic. If there's something that's sitting on your mind, write about it. If it wasn't written down, it didn't happen. Hmm, that's what's not quite that. But I would hope that some of you will go home and write it down. I reminded a midwife recently she should be writing down her daily adventures because I can't wait for her book to be finished. And that was Annie Delane, and that's when she said she was halfway through and it just made my day. So, the best quotes from Nora Roberts. I'm sure everyone's read one Nora Roberts. You can fix a bad page, but you can't fix a blank one. That is so true. 
Um, you can't wait for inspira inspiration. You have to go at it with a club by Jack London. Rudyard Kipling, words are, of course, the most powerful drug of all. And Emma Darcy, finish the damn book. And that's it. <laughs>